I'm still selling weed now, yeah. but legally. <laughs> have I said that on the internet? You have that kind of up, 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 and then it all yeah. crashes and burns. All right, thanks for having me, yeah. guys. Yeah, welcome, man. Thank you. Big uh, fan. Um, I watched your guys' video that you made on me. Yeah. Jeff Wittick's $2.4 million mistake. Yes, yeah. correct. Loved it. Loved yeah. the title. <laughs> awesome. Um, it wasn't quite $2.4 million. Okay. Start off with that. Okay. Um, yeah, but we just I mean, did who some cares? We were just doing I'm richer than David now, yeah. whatever, you know? <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Planning my next accident. <laughs> Working on it. So, okay. Outside of that, we'll get into the math of whatever that was okay. from Patreon. But you have had quite the year, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You crossed 3 million on YouTube. You have over 300 million views on your channel. You launched Patreon, which we'll get into that. Uh, you were nominated for a streamy for your docu-series. You launched Jeff FM, you relaunched the barbershop, and you launched a new line of products. Wow. Damn. That's kind that of was a, all this year? That was all this year. Wow. And you know what? I, I can't believe it's almost 2022 20, now. Yeah. Because I feel like the last year was a blur, but time yeah. flies when it's you're tw- having fun. It's 2021 right now, so that means 10 years ago you were in jail. Wow. What? That's a decade. Holy shit. Am I allowed to curse on here? Please. You nice. just did. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, 10 years ago, I was in Miami in jail. And yeah, this year we're nominated for an award by YouTube, yeah. which we've been on and off their good side for the past, yeah, a couple of years. But yeah, I guess we're on, we're on the right track again. Yeah. You know? So talk, talk to me about what the life of Jeff was 10 years ago and how you landed behind bars. I've always kind of wanted to do what I'm doing now. I just didn't know how to, or I don't even think I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Like back then, YouTube was much different. It was mostly just uh, like weird comedy sketches. And I wanted to do weird comedy sketches, but I just didn't know how to film or edit. I used to have a laptop, a Mac with a camera on it, the webcam. Mm-hmm. And that's what I used to do like videos on my dirt bike and stuff like that. I'd be riding around with my laptop <laughs> filming it because it's the only camera I had. And yeah. I would just drop it right into iMovie and cut up little clips and stuff like that. So back then I was doing that, but also I wanted to kind of figure out how to, um, how to learn all that stuff. And I started off with, uh, using whatever skills I had, which was cutting hair. And that was a good gateway to get to meet people and maintain relationships with people in the industry, athletes, artists. And I started making YouTube videos on those haircuts, but it was just music playing in the background and like just a montage. The whole thing was a montage of me cutting the person's hair, maybe like sneakers and Fashion was what I thought I wanted to do at the time, but yeah, when did you start later. cutting hair? How did that become a a, th- a skill of yours? Uh, that was I was probably fifteen years old, and I would hang out at my neighborhood barbershop, and I was cutting my own hair. And I went into the barbershop, and I asked the guy just to cut the back of my hair, and he kind of got offended by that. He was like, "What? What are you going to somebody else for the sides and coming to me for the back? Like, what's, what's wrong with you?" And I was like, "No, I'm doing it myself." Um, I just can't see the back. And he goes, you did the haircut by yourself on the sides. Like it's a really good fade. If you want, I can teach you how to do this stuff and you, and you can maybe be a barber here one day. And I was like, all right, cool. And I sat there and watched him for about a week or two in. And then I started doing my own haircuts on my friends. And then he, uh, he got sick and asked me if I could cover for him and cut his clients. So pretty much three weeks in, I had like a full-time job as a barber. Oh, wow no license, no, you know, 
I didn't have even a driver's license. I was 15 and I was cutting yeah, yeah. adults. I was pretty much running the shop three weeks in. Yeah. So at that point I just, I realized, you know, any fake it till you make it kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and it worked out. It was like, um, pretty much my senior year of high school, I had the basketball team, the football team. I was cutting everyone's hair. So I knew everybody just off of cutting hair. And were you making pretty good money as a barber in high school? Yeah. And that, um, that definitely messed with, uh, my relationship with my teachers, my arrogance, my ego. I would come into school with a new pair of Jordans on every day and talk a lot of shit <laughs> and I would get myself in hot water in high school. But, um, yeah, I also started cutting my teacher's hair so I didn't have to do as much homework. <laughs> okay. They, they <laughs> the haircuts were that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tough to find a good barber, you know? It's true. It is. It's true. And haircuts are high stakes. Like yeah. one time Colin didn't even come out to, to an event we had cause he got a bad haircut. Oh yeah. I was in my car screaming. Yeah. Yeah. I was devastated. How bad was this haircut? It was bad. Only Samir has seen yeah. the photo. I've only, I, I'm the only one who's seen the photo. It was oh, bad. Oh yeah? Yeah. It was bad. You know, like the naked mole rat? <laughs> no. Yeah. They sh- did they shave the top yeah. of your head? Yeah. They like shaved only back here, like a fryer tuck kind of vibe. And like everything else was-, was How is this long. guy still in business? I've done terrible things to people in, <laughs> during haircuts, but I've never done anything that bad. I've never messed up the hair on somebody, except for that one situation <laughs> with Dixie D'Amelio. But that was, mm-hmm. was under the influence of- pain meds. Sure. And yeah, yeah. I had to That's understand pretty hard. Yeah. We all, we all understand that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What but, was your relationship with money? Did you desire it as a kid or like when you were cutting hair, you started making money. Was that like cherry on top or did you not have money when you, you were a kid and all of a sudden you came into money? I definitely didn't come from money. Um, growing up, uh, I had two brothers, I had a brother and sister and my mom looked out for us. My dad was he worked with the city buses. He doesn't want me to say bus driver. He was uh, like a maintenance guy and he just worked in the bus garage. He won't go by bus driver because he says they're smug. So I don't want to <laughs> give out uh, any false information here. My dad was not a bus driver, but he worked hard. And I just saw him always kind of working like a very, he worked hard, lived his life by the book. And I didn't really want to have that life for myself. I'm happy how I was raised. I'm happy how he brought me up, but it was just, you know, not something that I wanted to do, answer to somebody every day and not really have much freedom to do anything. He worked nights. So it was pretty much his whole life would just be working to make enough money. So we were good and he could get a pension and have health benefits for us. And, you know, just that, I feel like everybody in Staten Island either was a bus driver, mm. a garbage man, a fireman or a, a cop. Yeah. Just everybody in my hometown. You ever seen a Bronx tale? Yeah. It's kind of that vibe. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah my dad's Robert De Niro. <laughs> Got it. And I'm the punk kid who wanted to hang out at the fucking, at the barber shops right. and the delis. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Spot on. So if you're making pretty good money as a barber in high school, at what point does selling drugs come into the equation? I just wanted more, you know, um, you make money and then you get to another level where you're now introduced to this new lifestyle and then you want more of that and you want to not necessarily compete with the people like your peers and stuff like that. But yeah, just money brings opportunity. And I didn't see myself really living in Staten Island for that much longer. I was probably 17 or 18 and I was like, I need more opportunity in my life. And it was just rough. The winters were brutal and just going to work every day in school. I would do school, then the barbershop. And throughout that time there, I would sell a little weed and stuff like that. So 
I was busy. I was very busy and I wanted to get out. So I didn't know where to go or what to do. I started taking a couple vacations down to Miami. Every year I would go down maybe once or twice. And then it started becoming every two months. And I started making friends down there. And then I saw a barbershop that was opening up right on South Beach. And it was called Hall of Fame Barbershop. This place was like a dream to me, the 18-year-old me at the time, to just be able to work in this shop that all these celebrities and athletes come to. I was like, this seems perfect. I'm a barber. I'm not just going to be hanging out in this spot. Like a groupie, they, these people would need something from me. And once you give somebody a couple good haircuts, then they only trust you. They need you every single time. And that's kind of why now I'm transitioning into the products because I can't reach that many people. Yeah. I can't cut everyone's hair, but I still am very passionate about haircuts and making people feel better about themselves by changing the way they look. And I feel like the products is now the next thing that people can use their trust in me to style their hair every day and feel better about themselves, you know? So when you're in Miami, like cutting hair was still a big, like that's still a passion. Um, it was a passion still at the time. Yeah. Not as much as it is now yeah. because I realized that, you know, cutting hair has a cap on it and, you know, you can only do so many a day and it is work. After a while, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. And I just needed to get out of that and be able to expand and do more my time here on the earth. You know, I, I can't yeah. just give people an hour of my time every day on one person's head. And there's other people that are better at it than me now. If I'm not doing it every single day, I'm not going to be the best in that field it's clear. Watch the Dixie D'Amelio episode. <laughs> no, I'm not the best at doing yeah. designs anymore. But when yeah. I was doing it every single day, I was so passionate about it. And that's all I wanted to do was be the best barber. And yeah, just over, over the years, my passions have changed. Um, I think I'm back to that childhood um, dream of acting, making content, and just making comedy videos, doing comedy, yeah. stuff like that. I always broke people's balls when I was in the barbershop. It's mm -hmm. like a New York thing in the yeah. barbershops to kind of talk a lot of shit and you make jokes on each other. There's kind of like a lot of roasts going on, roasting people's outfits or their beliefs, political beliefs or whatever, <laughs> sure. you know, it gets dark. Yeah. The, yeah, people yeah. say really mean things in a barbershop. Fights break out. It definitely has spilled over a lot into the barbershop show. My influence from like the New York barbershops growing up. But um, yeah, we try to keep it a little toned down for the show on yeah. YouTube because we get in hot water sometimes we'll get a, you know, our, our channel age restricted a lot and it kind of defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do. So there's a fine line that we try to balance on of how far we could take things, but I don't cross it often, but maybe once a year I'll go a little too far and then yeah. we have to regroup and tone it down a little bit. Yeah. It happened recently. I won't uh, say any names, but <laughs> we had a guest walk off and then, it just makes me realize like, what's the point of the show? Is it to make people look better? Is it to entertain mm -hmm. the audience? What's the number one priority? And I think it's just authenticity. Just try to keep it real. You know, I make videos that I would want to make my friends laugh with and entertain my friends and my peers. I'm not necessarily targeting a audience of younger kids or just this works. So I'm going to keep doing this. Right. I want to keep on growing. And as my sense of humor changes and, I grow as a person. I want to, you know, have my content grow with me. Mm -hmm. A lot of what Jeff's barbershop, the show is, is what you were saying. It's like making your friends laugh. Right. Yeah. 
And it's all based off of a lot of your interactions with these people in the chair. Mm -hmm. When you're in Miami and you're cutting the hair of athletes and celebrities, are you starting to have those interactions and start to realize that you actually also have this ability to be an entertainer, to be someone a little bit different? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because when I first moved to that shop, a lot of the guys on the Jersey shore were, um, they were moving the season down to Miami and guys in New York, they're like so particular on their barbers. So I had Vinny who I used to cut his hair back in, in the shop in Staten Island. He's actually, I went to high school with him. He grew up a couple blocks away from me. So he had hit me up and he's like, Hey, so we're doing the show down there and I don't know a barber. So we like MTV wants us to come in. And actually at first they wanted me to be in the house, but because I just started working at this shop and I was so grateful to get the first chair in this like super dope barbershop, I asked them if they would be down to come into the barbershop. And at the time the show had just blown up. It was the biggest show on TV. Um, Snooki just got punched in the face in yeah. that trailer uh-huh. and it was the biggest thing on the internet. And, and they milked that scene quite oh, a bit, yeah. but it, it pulled me in. I watched More every episode. probably would be yeah. acceptable today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Big time. And I think they're not allowed to play that trailer anymore on really? TV. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the girl's sense. just getting punched in the yeah, face by true. a man that, at a bar yeah, and I think sense. the guy got arrested and everything after that. But yeah, because of how viral that trailer was, I think that helped blow the show up and it was just something that people had never seen before, how these people act and stuff like that. So, um, they ended up coming into the barbershop and they mic me up and they would have me ask them questions about like what's going on in the house. They'd fill me in on some mm-hmm. stuff. And that's kind of where the barbershop started. If you think about it, they didn't yeah. use much of it. They only put in like a couple clips and they uh, ended up using a clip of me smoking a cigarette and my mom saw it. <laughs> She's like, what are you, what the hell is this? You smoking a cigarette? I'm like, ma, it's acting. They gave me the cigarette. They told me to smoke it. It's just a prop. But yeah, I had done all this stuff that I thought was going to come out on MTV in the show and they just ended up scrapping most of it. But um, yeah, they used a clip of me smoking the cigarette and like one shot of us um, in the barbershop. But yeah, that ended up being where I kind of started the banter while I'm cutting people's hair. But yeah, that all faded when I got into, when I came out to LA, that wasn't the plan. I got into doing vines and stuff like that. And then I met all these viners and it kind of had the same effect. Now I'm, I'm building these relationships with these internet content creators and I see them working all the time, stressing about ideas to come up with an original sketch every week. And they all started getting that creator stress. Like you don't have a life anymore. Just what can I shoot? I need a new idea. And for me, these guys are all asking me to come get a haircut every week, pretty much every week or two. Mm-hmm. So I have access to all these people coming by to my house. I had a little barbershop in my house and uh, I was just like, well, these are pretty much podcasts that we're doing. Why don't we just film these and we could add in like a nice visual ac- aspect to it, have some comedy and you know. All right. So you're with the Jersey Shore. You kind of light bulb goes off. Yeah. Like, sorry. Oh, I always skip over that. All right. um, no, all good. There's a lot of crimes that happen in that time. Nothing bad, but, um, it is still a little gray area. I did move out here. I was very inspired by movies and shows and I'm inspired by the place I grew up and all the things that I learned throughout my childhood. I always kind of had to watch my back and I'm just used to things always ending badly after a while. Like you have that Mm. kind of up, 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 and then it all crashes and burns. Maybe my experiences, like my run-ins with the law and stuff kind of have that embedded in me now. Got it. So I moved out here and I was going to try 
getting into the marijuana business because it was like the prohibition. It's almost like, yeah. um, you ever watch Boardwalk Empire? Of course. Mm-hmm. Where they're trying to, oh, yeah. you know, it's becoming legal. It's still illegal in some places. Yep. So out here, if you got called weed, it was a slap on the wrist. They wouldn't even arrest you, and, you know, or they would arrest you and they'd let you go the next day. So I was like, all right, cool. This is what I want to do. Um, I got into buying weed and shipping it back home or shipping it to the old barbershops in Miami, New York, other places I lived. It's easy to distribute it. You know, you have all the clientele right there in the barbershop. Everybody yeah. goes to a weed uh, barbershop to buy weed. Um, so I did that for a while. And then that got a little risky because a lot of stuff started going missing and I was just working so hard and one package would go missing and I'd be set back. All my work for the month was done. So I got into growing weed and then I was inspired by Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I love that show. Mm-hmm. One of the best. And I realized I was just working my ass off and I wasn't getting to do anything creative. Like growing weed's fun for about a month, but then you come into work one day and all your plants are dead. And, you know, it's just a lot of stress. Not yeah. good stress, not like creative stress. Right. So I built a, st- well, I don't even know if I should, sh- I never shared this on the internet. I built a studio around um, the grow that was like the front for our place. So we had a film studio and I thought that would be my foot in the door in the industry. But it turns out the whole time it was cutting hair. All I needed to do was just yeah. figure out a way to use my haircuts to make some content out of, mm-hmm. I had all my relationships were through cutting hair. And yeah, that was it. I just went back to my roots and it was the most authentic thing I could have done. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's interesting that that's what popped for me was just, it was under my nose the whole time. Yeah. It's just like the thing that was authentically coming, like bullshitting in the barbershop. Yeah. It's interesting. It's actually what we talked about a lot. It took us five years to land on this format. And we would, what we would do is we'd go sit with a creator and have coffee and talk to them about how they got started. Then we'd come in the studio and be like, shit, what do we film today? Yeah. And we were like, wait a second. I think that's the thing we should film. Like the thing that comes naturally to us. Yeah. We should put that on camera. Yeah, videos of us vlogging our lifestyle now like make me cringe and they don't really make any sense. And you can see us struggling. We're like stretching for content. Really stretching. Yeah. I think it's obvious to the audience and the creator, you know, if you're stressed out, if you're not having fun while you're shooting, yeah, you know, it's people aren't having fun watching it. Right. So one of the questions we actually got on Twitter and just to take us to the next chapter of the Jeff story, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned of like things coming to a head and, and ending up in jail for some of these, these run-ins with the law. Like what, what was there a lesson in there of coming out and having a renewed energy or. Yeah. Now my arrests were usually just stupid mistakes that I made little slip ups, but still valuable life lessons. I, I do think everything happens for a reason. And it's just funny that even when I got arrested, I ended up getting through that process of being in jail and having to adapt to that climate by cutting people's hair was another way where I made friends and people needed something out of me. I never needed to use commentary. I never needed to have people send me money because I was just able to pretty much take over my dorm that I was in with all these inmates, my first time in jail and I'm good. I'm fine just cause I'm a barber and I use my talents to excel in that field, Miami Dade County yeah. jail. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same thing now, you know, right. people need something from me. Yeah. They trust me. And sometimes I'll exploit that trust for the show. That's you know, exactly what you're trying to do here in Los Angeles. Yeah. 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 There's the, really no other way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exploit yeah. the trust, film it and uh, yeah. Get people when they're vulnerable. Um, yeah. So the show is fun. It's a lot of fun doing it. It's just, you know, even now we're still figuring it out, you know? At what point through your career did you 
start to understand that social media could be a business for you and not just a creative outlet? I know exactly when that time was. So I was at the pool in 1600 Vine and I met Rudy Mancuso. He was uh, one of the mm-hmm. biggest mm-hmm. Viners. Yeah, I, I think he was him, like yeah. the fourth most followed Viner. Yeah. And he's from New Jersey. You're from New Jersey, right? Yep. Yeah. Guy from New Jersey. I'm from Staten Island. It's like we talk yeah, the same. Yeah. or very similar. Um, and we just started talking and he was like, you're pretty funny. Do you want to help me shoot a Vine? And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, right, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll help you shoot a, a Vine. And he started doing an ad for Verizon in the in the six second phone video, and he told me he was getting paid sixty grand to do it. And I was like, "What the fuck? We just shot a video on your phone that's <laughs> yeah. six seconds long. You're getting sixty G's to do that? You're like, I'm, I'm risking weed. my life. Yeah. yeah, I'm going in and out of jail. <laughs> I'm doing all this bullshit just to make you know. And yeah, we bonded. You know, it had similar sense of humor and. He actually, we started doing like lines together. He helped me out, taught me how to edit and just taught me how to execute my ideas. And there'd be a bunch of other Viners around that, you know, once you got your stuff going, um, they'd help you out and you'd collaborate a lot. Like that place, 1600 Vine was just a hub for all these Mm -hmm. content creators and that whole new era of like collaborations and stuff that all, it all just happened right there. And I just happened to be there because I had got this nice luxury apartment to trap out of. And I, I'm like bringing a package of weed to the elevator and I see King Batch come out on a hoverboard with a SpongeBob <laughs> backpack on and he's like vlogging himself and what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's just such a weird thing that happened, but I'm so happy it happened because I feel like it was what I was meant to do. Not, I didn't see it right off the bat. Like I remember watching movies and seeing like Ryan Gosling just act like himself. And I was like, I could do that. I would want to do that. I'd be fucking great at it. I'd be repeating the lines, but watching it. And I was like, it's fucking easy. I just did it. Mm-hmm. I just did the same shit he's doing right now in a movie. And I just, I mean, there's nobody that comes and knocks on your door and says, Hey, you want to be an actor? So we had to take a different route, but eventually we got to where we yeah. wanted to go. How did now, you land in that 1600 vine? Like, just a coincidence. Just a coincidence? Yeah. That's a crazy, like, but serendipitous. You were there kind of before all the Vine yeah, stars I was there came before. in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is crazy. Because yeah. I think for a lot of people who don't know, that apartment building housed a lot of the current, like, major YouTube stars right now. Yeah, yeah like Logan biggest, Paul, yeah. Jake yeah. Paul. Um, I think Team 10 started out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, King Batch, Amanda Cerny, Rudy, that whole Shot Studios thing, Lele Pons. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody, Wampa. It's kind of like the first creator house. Yeah. I guess that like, if you look back, like it's an interesting concept that everyone who lived in there, who was surrounded by the community of creators Mm -hmm. has quite a bit of staying power. Like if you took the percentage of people you just mentioned of who are still doing this as a career today, it's a pretty high percentage of people. Yeah. Out of 1600 Vine. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Um, yeah, it's nuts that I'm, I'm even one of them now. Like, um, who would have thought back then, you know, I was just doing it as kind of like a front to tell my parents like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm doing this now for work. Don't ask too many questions, you know, (laughs) but yeah, it's nice now that like my relationship with them has actually, it's gotten a lot stronger now that they could talk about stuff that I'm doing that they could be proud of rather than just, Oh yeah, Jeffrey's out of jail. It's interesting. My my parents still don't understand what I do. Seriously. Yeah. They're like, what's, what do you do? He works at YouTube. 
<laughs> so when I was sure. telling people what yeah. I was going to do, I was like, I'm going to do some interview with these guys. They pretty much work at YouTube. Right. Yeah. So even you think that. Yeah, you work at, that's what I'm saying. It's, confu- YouTube, it's confusing yeah. for most. Yeah. Yeah. But pretty much. No, so, it's good. You guys are just professional and that's rare in this business, you know. Just the three of us, the 30 year olds. We're just the three We're professionals. on the level three. Yeah. yeah. Level three. I like on level three. Yeah. There's not many. Casey no. Neistat. Yeah. Yep. Damn. Are we yeah. up there with Casey now? Yeah, we're up there with Casey. Damn. Yeah. All right, I'll take <laughs> yeah. it. So you started your YouTube channel in 2011. Is that around the time? Like you were making vines. Did no, you- I started my YouTube channel, um, I think just because I needed an account. Or no, I started my YouTube channel and I posted a video when I was like 16. I went out to visit my sister in Kentucky and she works with the racehorses. She owns racehorses and trains them and stuff. And I... I took a wild racehorse and I just rode it like jackass. I always wanted to be in jackass. I was like, I wished I grew up with that group of friends. It's crazy that I got hurt doing the stunt. We'll get into that after. I never really wanted to do the wild stunts and get hurt like Johnny Knoxville, but I just always ended up doing dumb shit like that. Mm. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's fun for me. I enjoy it. Yeah. But, um, I made that video where I rode this horse and it was like a jackass knockoff and I called it MTV jackass wild racehorse and that went viral but then I deleted it because I was embarrassed. I wish I could find that video mm. now. It would have been great to throw into the yeah. documentary. But because I deleted it, I just skipped over my dreams of being a YouTuber when I was 16. Got it. Just erased that whole part. Fuck it. We don't need it in the story. You know, get the whole story told in that right. short period of time. Um, yeah, so I, I started doing YouTube back then. But I did a one-off jackass uh, parody and ended up giving up, going back to the life of crime. <laughs> sure. But at that time, there was no money does. in it. Yeah, yeah. as one does. There was no money in YouTube. Yeah, yeah. it couldn't become a career no. for a 16-year-old back then. I had one video, yeah. one-off idea, ride this fucking horse. And then I went back to New York, and yeah, I was like, all right, I guess I'll cut hair and sell weed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then in, uh, in 2012, we have a note here that you started a Tumblr. Okay. Behind the cuts. Tumblr was a thing to do at the time, <laughs> and I was a big fan of Kanye West's barber. I was okay. a big fan of Kanye, but Kanye's barber, this guy, Ivan Jasper, he was the coolest barber in the game. He had his own shoe with Louis Vuitton, the Jaspers, which like mm. sold out in the first like 10 minutes. Okay. It was just so cool for me to see a barber that grew up working in the hood at a hood barbershop, giving $10 haircuts, ends up meeting Kanye when Kanye was just, you know, wanted to be a rapper and ended up linking up with him. Kanye trusted him, brought him onto the team, onto the entourage, and then he ended up finding ways to make relationships with people and get his creative ideas out. And that ended up becoming a, a shoe with Louis Vuitton and um, his whole entourage, like Don C made those hats for a while. They were all crushing it. I don't know if you guys were yeah. around the same age. So yeah. You guys should probably know. Mm-hmm. And that was all on Tumblr. So I started my own Tumblr, but I didn't have the money or the relationship with Kanye at the time. <laughs> sure. So it was more like, uh, yeah, just, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And that was kind of like a start for me to post my haircuts and stuff like that, like who I'm working with and mm-hmm. things that I'm doing. But yeah, again, there's like, it didn't really go anywhere. And yeah. now I don't know the password for the account, so I can't go back and delete my photos that I posted when I was 20 years old, 18. <laughs> so you can you still know. check out the Tumblr. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oscar, work on getting that yeah. deleted. <laughs> Actually, before this thing comes out, let's get that Tumblr taken down. Yeah. So basically, there's a big gap between the Tumblr, the first YouTube video, the Tumblr, and then when you start posting on Vine. There is a big gap, and that's because I lost my laptop that I had from 16 to like 23, mm-hmm. and that had all my videos and all the things I used to shoot, those stupid videos of me 
pretending I was in jackass and all the dumb things I used to do. My, my dirt bike wheeling videos. I thought I was like Meek Mill driving around dirt bikes and getting in police chases and stuff like that. I wish I had those videos today. I don't want to go recreate them. I don't want to have to go back. Were you, um, like, did you, did you get a lot of validation from being almost like, uh, like center of attention or like people laughing when you did something like, was that something that you really enjoyed when you were in high school? You know what? I kind of just enjoyed it. I enjoyed fucking with people yeah. my whole life. Even if it was walking into school yeah. into like an assembly and taking my shirt off or something and just doing something ridiculous. Not, I'm not saying I was buff or anything. Yeah. I would just do it. And in my head I was, you know, I was the rock. I was 300 pounds right. and you know, I was on steroids, but I wasn't. And I would even say like, I'm fucking taking steroids now. What's up? And I go into school like that and they'd be like, Mr. Whittick, you're suspended. <laughs> Good luck explaining that one to your parents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of wild stuff in school, but my whole intention always was just to make people laugh. You know, even if it's yeah. like just me doing dumb shit in a barbershop. Were those first vines? Those first vines, they weren't barbershop related, right? No, like I think sketches? I did one that was like a quick joke. I had Rudy Mancuso in the chair. I, well, Rudy was the one who shot all my first vines. He uh, just sat down in the chair and he said, make me look cool. And he had a man bun at the time. So I just took the rubber band out of his hair and I said, all right, you're done. And that was just like a quick joke, you know, mm-hmm. like man bun was what was making him not cool. And that was at the end of that phase. Did you make money on Vine? No, never. No, I was still just using that as a front for my, um, to tell my mom, hey mom, look, I'm doing Vine now for work. Uh, actually, no, at that, at that time, yeah, Vine was just a hobby. You're always seeking some sort of validation, mm-hmm. especially when you're just like a barber or sell weed. You know, money was okay. I found ways to make money, but I never found a way to get validated as, you know, I was doing something with my life. Right. You know, it was just, what can I do? Buy a nice car or something. Yeah. It's probably why everybody in Staten Island <laughs> spends more on their car than they do on their house or apartment. Right. But we do. We're always That's just a big yeah. New Jersey validation. thing as well. Yeah. yeah. A lot of nice cars in every neighborhood. Yeah. 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 That was. That I mean, was probably also though, being surrounded by people who are, killing it on, on vine or doing this thing on vine and making money. And like, that's an acceptable career. Right. And then you're like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's the thing that that makes sense to me. Yeah. I was definitely inspired by David along the way, Rudy, um, definitely their passion and their obsession with their craft is something that rubbed off on me. Definitely hanging out with David and the whole vlog squad, you know, David's work ethic and the way he, would just be so obsessed with getting the bits properly. And if he had to stay there and shoot for hours to get a trick shot, there was no problem with that. And everybody else kind of understood that work ethic. And we all supported it, obviously, because, you know, we, we just love creating together and just seeing what he was able to make out of an ADD and a, a bunch of friends just willing to fucking do whatever. You know, he was able to make an actual structured episodic show and... Um, yeah, we all kind of, that definitely rubbed off on, on Oscar too. You know, uh, when we first started shooting the barbershop, we had one camera and no lav mics, nothing. It was terrible. It was so shitty going back to watch those first episodes. But, um, yeah, we, we grew quick cause we had that, we had that, uh, influence, that mm-hmm. work ethic that we were surrounded by. And we just right. were able to pick what we wanted to take from that, take a little from everybody definitely inspired by like um 
Definitely Eric Andre, uh, mm-hmm. Zach Galifianakis, Between mm-hmm. Two Ferns, Tosh.0, like all these shows that are able to take an interview with anybody and make it interesting and funny, not just a traditional interview. You guys are great at it. You really highlight people's strengths and skills. I like to highlight the things that the internet doesn't like about them or their stereotypical sure. jokes yeah. and try to make our own twist on that. Kind of like what Zach Galifianakis does in Between Two Ferns. You right. know, he's really mm-hmm. good at... You know, jabbing at people, backhanded mm-hmm. stuff, but it's all, you know, they're in on it. Yeah. And what I like to do is catch people um, where they're not so in control. They're kind of on edge already because... I'm on edge right now. Are you? Yeah, really? I feel like someone might walk in the door with a chainsaw <laughs> or something. Yeah, I'm no, just this on is, edge this is right your now. Show. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine I, I was cutting your hair and your appearance is right. on the line. Yeah. At the end of this, am I going to like what I look like? You know, also what the fuck is going to happen to me now? So we right. started up in that whole aspect, the mm-hmm. pranks, the bits, and um, definitely plan questions. But, you know, the way I like to look at it is everybody else, when they walk into that barbershop, when they sit in that chair, they're living in my universe. And for the next hour or so, I call all the shots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just can react to my madness or, you know, they can get mad or I don't know, they could do whatever they want. You know, it's just, yeah. um, What was the jump from, I guess, does it feel like it was an actual jump from everyone making vines to David specifically making YouTube videos and having kind of this thing, the vlog squad emerge? Like, did that feel like a conscious decision or it just kind of just happened? Like David started making YouTube videos and then you guys were all in the videos. Um, They were already up and running before, I was friends with Rudy and Lele and Anwar and all those guys. And there was a thing, Shot Studios, that uh, my buddy owned, uh, John Shahidi and Sam Shahidi, their brothers. They started this like little MCN type of studio where they would help create like small productions, almost like a, it was like a sketch comedy, kind of like Key and Peel, but it was just difficult for these people who went from Vine making six second videos and now you have to produce and write a whole sketch every week. And I looked at that, like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. That seems like work. Like the way they were writing all the time and editing these project files in Premiere with um, like a hundred different layers of audio and all this shit. I was like, fuck that. That looks like hell. Um, But then I ended up doing it somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And way worse too. We have like eight different cameras that we shoot on. It's, It's hell. Our edits, our Premiere is always crashing. But yeah, so these guys were doing that and... I didn't want to do the different sketch every week. It seemed like, you know, there's a shelf life on it. You're eventually going to crack and not yeah. be able to continue doing it. Asking all these people to be extras in your videos. It was a lot. So I figured, you know, the barbershop was perfect. One guy, me, I should just run a camera and give a haircut. Mm-hmm. When was the first episode of the barbershop? First episode of the barbershop we did on Marcus Johns. Um, he was a viner, a big viner at the time. And he never cursed Christian, very religious and we pranked the heck out of him. Let's just say I had my friend running naked, all this stuff that happened, and we didn't roll the audio, so we don't have that episode. That's, that was when I first met Oscar. That's funny, because Oscar is kind of like my right-hand man, but mm-hmm. he doesn't like being on camera, so he always stays behind the camera. Sure. It's fine. I understand. Whatever, I'm not... We'll you know. put a picture of Oscar up there. Okay, yeah, cool. So you can see Oscar. Um, but yeah, Oscar and I kind of grew together. I think he wanted to be a photographer, and he just pretty much had a camera, but he's all self-taught, learns everything from YouTube. My whole YouTube recommendations is all like 
premiere and lighting and audio just because he's watching stuff, just educating himself. And thank God, because, you know, we have our own little production company now and it's all, you know, we're all Mm self-taught. I've never even went to barber school, never had a license. We learned everything from YouTube and the streets. Right. So So when you started the Jeff's Barbershop series, where are you financially? How are you making Oh, I think I was paying Oscar, I think, what, $300 a video or something like that to shoot and edit it. And yeah, it was only one camera at the time and the edits weren't as crazy as they are now. Where was the money coming from? Even that 300 bucks? That 300? Weed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I guess I'm like Jay-Z if he was a YouTuber. You know, I sold crack and I used it to fund my music. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, It definitely came from weed and now weed. So you were still selling weed when you started the Jess Barbershop series? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Have I said that on the internet? I'm still selling weed now. Yeah. But legally. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I was at a point where I hated selling weed now. I hated growing weed and... I still had people owing me money from that business, but I was kind of getting into social media. So I had to decide, am I going to do this and go hundred percent at it and put myself out there and make myself vulnerable? A lot of things that won't make people want to pay you back money if they owe you like street guys aren't going to want to pay me 20,000 that they owe me if I'm doing vines with Lily Pons and I look like a clown, right? You know, it just doesn't, you can't do both. Yeah. So I needed to make a decision there. Am I going to go 100% in this and completely sacrifice this lifestyle? And yeah, the money, the way I learned how to make money, I kind of took that entrepreneurship for this business, but I needed to sacrifice one of them. So I took a bit of a leap doing the barbershop. But um, at that time, I was like 29 years old, 28. And I was drinking. I was in a relationship at the time. I had just broken up with my girlfriend and stopped drinking completely. I was like, all right, I can't be 30 and not have an actual career, have things to say. Like I, I wouldn't, I didn't have a property. I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything to really um, be proud of. And yeah, around 29, I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to bust my ass at this and give it a shot. But once I do this, there is no turning back because I was going to be completely real and be myself and not be a character doing skits and sketches yeah. all the time. Like I do up the character a little bit for the show, yeah. but yeah, I needed to sacrifice something and yeah, that was that lifestyle, but it still kind of spills over into the content. Right. Did definitely you- inspired by whatever you want to call it. Gangster movies and yeah. that lifestyle still kind of, Goodfellas is my favorite movie of all time. Oh yeah? Of all time. Nice, you it's can actually, agree on that. It, dude, it's the reason why I got into filmmaking. Like the opening of Goodfellas where the trunk opens, you know, yeah. they shoot the guy up and all of a sudden <laughs> it pauses and the voiceover kicks in. Yeah. It's like, I saw that intro and immediately I was like, okay, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm going to do something in media. Like story, this storytelling is so good. Mm-hmm. I can watch that movie unlimited amounts of time. And it has a lot yeah. of why we liked the doc yeah. that you put together. From the second we watched the first episode, we were like, oh. This yeah. is good, fellas. <laughs> your voiceover is very much like that vibe. Of Thank the you. Yeah, definitely inspired like, by yeah. Henry Hill. Henry Hill. Yeah. You know, Ray Liotta. Um, yeah, Scorsese's the man. Yeah. He definitely made me want to um, take my, even even though it's like a podcast type of show that we mm-hmm. do, or the documentary is a documentary about me essentially smashing my head off a crane and skydiving to overcome fears and push it for content and all that stuff. But yeah, definitely the inspiration from Scorsese comes into my vlogs or whatever you want. I don't even yeah. know how that makes sense, but 
Yeah. Scorsese follows me on Instagram. That's I, insane. I wanted to crazy. Uh, DM him just waiting for the right time because I don't want to hit him with some clout chaser fucking sure. bullshit. Hey, put me in a movie, you know? like How many DMs have you drafted for that? <laughs> <laughs> my um, When we were sending out PR boxes, I, I had my assistant like DM everybody I follow and he yeah. sent one to Scorsese. I was like, oh, fucking delete. Yeah. Delete. <laughs> that's, that's, not the one. that's not the message. Yeah, but Scorsese, yeah. Said, uh, Scorsese said he doesn't like Marvel movies. You, what are you guys' opinion on those? I've never seen a Marvel movie. I don't Hell think. Hell yeah. yeah. Fuck it. It's a, sure. yeah, yeah. it's like a roller coaster. It's yeah. an amusement park of, of the film industry. No, I don't yeah. care. Yeah, I like, yeah, yeah, I like yeah. Marvel I movies. No way I feel very yeah. indifferent. When you started the barbershop, did you have an audience somewhere? Like was, did you have like a, an audience on Instagram or like because of the vlog squad, were there people interested in seeing you do your own content? Yeah. the barbershop, was kind of before the vlog squad. It was all around the same time when I said I was going to make that change in my life and become completely obsessed with this path. And um, we shot maybe two or three episodes. And I think we did one, a homeless man makeover. I just grabbed this homeless guy that would always jump into my videos when I was filming like the vlogs and stuff downstairs from my building. And we ended up doing that makeover on him and that went viral that has like 10 million views and wasn't even monetized. I didn't even know you could make money from YouTube really at that point. Um, we did that one. And then I did an episode with Taylor Holder before he had blown up on TikTok and all that oh, stuff. Wow. It was like just a, a, a musical guy. Ago? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. This was like three years ago, way before his TikTok fame and all that. And we went hard on him because he was at the time a musically fuck boy, which mm -hmm. was worse than a, a TikTok fuck boy because right. you know, that TikTok and became kind of cool and yeah. accepted. But back then you did musically like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Right. Get on Vine or yeah. something, grow up, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> he came on to the barbershop and this is before the show existed. This is before there's any videos that they could watch and be like, okay, this is what the show is. So I just went off on him and just completely gave him, shit the whole episode we had like a little boxing match in there i punched him in the face and we did all this shit uh, we, i think we talked about his nudes that got leaked yeah. it was just something that hadn't really been done on youtube before and even him i showed him a cut of it and he was like what the fuck man you're gonna post this and i was like yeah what do you want taken out and he there was so many things that he wanted taken out that he can only really name one or two of them and like, <laughs> there was so many bad things in there that he was like all right at least give me these and yeah. i was like okay well, i'll cut those out we edited a little bit but it still got a lot of people talking. They were like, what the fuck? Was this real? Did they actually hate mm -hmm, each other mm -hmm. this whole time? Did, were they actually going at each other's throats like that? And that video got sent around. My manager had like asked me and then David, I met David at my manager's um, birthday party or Christmas party or something. Cause he, he was also managing David mm -hmm. and he was like, yo, I saw that Taylor Holder video. Is that real? And I was like, yeah, I really fucking tortured that kid. And he's like, oh, hell yeah, that was dope. And <laughs> I started hanging out with Todd after that. He was going through his breakup with Corinna and I was going through my breakup with my ex and we just bonded over that. And yeah, David just started coming around filming the both of us then, which was weird because I kind of felt like I was stepping on Todd's toes. Mm -hmm. We were pretty similar. Yeah, you had a similar Externally, yeah. yeah, but inside Todd and I are so different. Todd's so sensitive. Yeah, I can be sometimes emotionless or at least come off like that. So you mentioned you had a manager there. So you had a manager basically from, from Vine and your initial From Vine YouTube and videos. Instagram. And I just hadn't made any money yet. You know, we were like in talks of, you know, doing stuff. I think I had like a, a supplement company that I was working with and I wasn't making enough. I maybe made a little bit of money to cover my rent from that. But no, I was full blown still selling weed 
when yeah. I was doing deals for American Express and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think that's when I was like, okay, American Express is going to pay me 30 G's. I think I can now follow this career and not worry about watching my back yeah. and collecting money from people. Because weed is very decriminalized. It's harmless. But when you're dealing with that much money and that much capital floating around, that's when it gets dangerous and that's when it gets stressful. You yeah. know? But I was never stressed that I was like going to get killed or, you know, get arrested for weed. I wouldn't get that much time. I'm sure dealing with the stresses of social media felt very chill compared yeah. to the stress of that. And then after yeah. like, oh, wow. So Amex just pays me. And if they don't like it, I just do a revision and mm-hmm. it's all good. Yeah. I'm not like nothing really bad is going to happen if I mess this up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you and Todd, I feel like what you were just talking about, about your guys' relationship. I remember when that kind of like the height of the vlog, first of all, I remember also, I think David takes you out to like a billboard and your ex-girlfriend's on the billboard, right? Yeah, that was right after our breakup. That was right too. after so, the breakup. And it was, the yeah. billboard was right outside of my house. So right. every time I had to drive to Todd's or to yeah. David's house, that direction, I would have to pass my ex-girlfriend's <laughs> billboard who was absolutely crushing it. Right. She's becoming so much more successful. And I mean, you could sit around and cry about that stuff or you yeah. could kind of let it motivate you to... Mm-hmm do something yourself. And I think all that stuff kind of motivated me, yeah. you know, seeing these guys go from Vine and starting successful YouTube channels. Yeah. It was skits and stuff that I didn't really love and see myself doing, but it definitely all mm-hmm. inspired me and motivated me. I feel like you and Todd were kind of like Joey and Chandler. Like when yeah. you're talking about how like you guys were a similar archetype, I feel like you did guys grew though into this world of, we talk a lot about how David's vlogs were kind of the the second coming of friends. Like it was about yeah, this group laugh of, track. Yeah. The mm-hmm. laugh track, this group of friends, like everyone had their own different storylines and personalities. And at least to me, that's what it felt like. It didn't feel at all. Like these guys are the same character. It's like, these are, this is a package deal. Yeah. Uh, and I really liked that. I thought that was really fun. And, uh, even the way you guys all ended up in each other's content. Over Maybe time. Todd's my Colin. Yeah. There I you think go. Todd's I had your guy. The whole time. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I think right. we just figured I'll call that him out after this. And yeah. Let him know. I think we just figured Colin. that out here. I think you're my Colin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's so, call Todd after. Tell him he's got a job. Yeah. <laughs> what was that experience like of doing both things, developing your brand and also being a part of this, you know, pretty public facing crew? It's like, a great question. You guys are good. Um, <laughs> I always, I always saw like, like I said, um, growing up, I have that, that like sort of. I don't know, fear embedded in me that like everything's always going to end bad, you know, like it's great right now, but the end is near, you know, whatever's, you know, just be prepared for the next thing. So I saw David absolutely crushing it and everybody, we had that whole team aspect, but what do I do when this, you know, starts fizzling out or obviously like, you know, there's got to be a next chapter. What am I doing for my own career? And I would always make time to shoot my own videos and sit there and edit. And then I would go and hang with Dave and film with him. Mm. Um, a lot of people didn't do that. Like Todd for a while, he was like just so invested in David's stuff, which, you know, it's a huge basically show. Yeah. Yeah, It's like friends, Mm -hmm. you know, of our generation. But yeah, I just, I always kind of wanted to have my own thing. And I took a lot from Dave, like his style of working, but yeah, I I needed to make something for myself, you know? Yeah. I remember when I first, really started watching your content. I was looking around at like, you know, in, in, intrigued about all the characters that were in David's videos. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I remember starting to see that the only one in my perspective or at that time that was doing something that was actually completely different from the vibe of the vlog squad was you. Like your show, Jeff's Barbershop, was a completely different format. And it was able to exist in isolation where some of the other content was almost different perspectives on similar things. Mm -hmm. Yours was completely uh, separate and could exist in like in isolated fashion. Like Jeff's Barbershop can exist outside of the world of the Vlog Squad. Thank you. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I And don't get me wrong. I love David's yeah. style of shooting, but it just didn't work for me. It right. just wasn't authentic to me. And like, I never laugh after people say funny stuff. I don't know if that's just me being numb to, mm -hmm. you know, like certain jokes and stuff like that. But even in David's videos, I never really laughed. And that's a huge part of David's videos. And it's a huge part of his editing. Like even when he edits, he'll be cutting up footage 12 hours long. He shot for the past two days and he needs to get a, a vlog edited up tonight. Right. So he wouldn't have four or five days to edit. He would have to just scrub through that and look for where he laughed the most. Right. Mm. And he's like, Oh, if this made me laugh that much, the first time right. I heard it, then this is what I know works. It worked for me. It worked for all my friends around. That's what'll make it in the cut. But for us, it's like, I want the audience to have to really pay attention mm -hmm. and understand the joke to laugh at it. You know, I'm not just going to spoon feed them. Oh, that was the joke there. You know, that, that yeah, didn't it, work for me. And also editing, it wouldn't be fun editing. I really like molding that joke mm -hmm. or whatever it is, you know. I think what's interesting about your brand as it's progressed and even at that time is that, you know, probably you could have had a career and just made money growing an audience on Instagram and posting on Instagram. You probably could have vlogged. You probably could have done some of the simpler social media formats, right? Yeah. But you chose, and you continue to choose, even when you look back at this year, to go into formats that are much more challenging to produce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, work harder, not smarter. Yeah. You know, that's what I always say. Right, that's what everyone says, I think, right? Isn't that age-old advice? But I think it's really interesting that you choose to continue upping. Like, even the barbershop, every episode is just getting upped and upped and upped. And today where that show is, is, is completely different. And then the, the type of guests and the type of formats and everything you're doing is like continuing to, to rise. Like, did you find purpose in out doing yourself, I guess, or, or continuing to expand your content or did you find purpose in, in the dollars you were making in from social media? No, the, I mean, I talk a lot of shit saying I'm only in this for the money and yeah. stuff like that, but that's just me joking around being an asshole. Um, I definitely want to grow every time I want to make each video better than the last. It's tough because you have to consistently post. I would love to just stay and work on a project for so long, like the documentary. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, just the demand for content, the way you have to post every week. It, I want to one-up it every time, but that's unhealthy. And then sometimes you smash your head off cranes when you do that. Yeah, I've heard. So um, I'm trying to find a balance where like, okay, we have a day to shoot this and two days to edit it. Let's do the best we can and just be happy and content with that. So that's something that I'm working on now, yeah. this new version of me post crane, mm -hmm. you know, post crane PC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, it's, it's working out. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I'm that obsessed with making every video that much better than the last these days. Mm. But, um, that was definitely, as I was coming up, I wanted to one up myself so much. And it's kind of a dangerous way to look at things because yeah, it's sure. impossible. Yeah, Imagine artists like musicians and stuff had to do that every time. 
But musicians have this advantage on all of us where they can put out a song that can live forever. And they do, it's a three minute piece. Like if someone loves your show, they'll watch mm-hmm. it twice. Yeah. Maybe three times. Think about your favorite song. Listen to that like mm-hmm. infinite amount of Some time. people may not even see your show, even if they would like it. Cause you put yeah. something out, put out a video on the internet and before you know it, it's like, Phew. yeah, it's yeah. moving. So when did the barbershop, like you're financing it with your other job. Yeah. When did the barbershop start making its own money? When did the, the, the social media career be like, all right, I'm fully making enough money from this stuff. Um, definitely my partnership with old spice was huge. That was a dream of mine because their commercials are always comedy and you know, it's men's grooming. It's all about hair and hygiene and stuff like that. And it was just right up my alley. It was a perfect fit. And the money was good. It's just, they weren't okay with the jokes I was making. And a lot of the times they wanted like scripts up front. They didn't really get it. I was like, it's an interview show. Like I know some of it is scripted, but I can't write the responses of people. I can't give you that ahead of time. And then they were like, okay, we're going to put reps on set. And they would shut me down when I would like go a little really? too far. Like, like you can't do this. You can't do this. Yeah. And I was, wow. I was like, all right, this is not the dream partnership that I thought. Yeah. So I'm still taking that route. I'm just doing it my own way. Mm-hmm. That's why, um, in the barbershop when we released the products in the new Airstream, I think I use the song Sid Vicious my way and I use Frank Sinatra my way. Yeah. Just cause like, you know, all right, fuck it. I'll do this my way. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of those deals show creators that they could sell a product in a similar realm, right? Like if it's working for Old Spice. Yeah. It'll just work for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. like sometimes that the light bulb kind of goes off right. from those initial deals. Yeah. If they're willing to keep spending with you, that means it's working. Yeah. It's your pushing product. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It works. It's like a signal. It was working. And yeah, it just gave me a little more confidence to probably launch this because mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever would if I didn't become successful on YouTube and also in the hair business and also have that partnership. I, you know, it all mm-hmm. kind of worked out to where I was like, fuck it. I'm going to put a lot of money into this company. It was a lot more than I expected, but I believe in it. And I just feel like if I'm going to do anything, this makes the most sense. Hair products, you know. How long ago did that idea come about? I think that goes back to when I first started cutting hair. I think it was always kind of there subliminally in the back of my mind. Like I need to make a product. And I remember my sister getting my first hair gel and she was just like, she, she did my hair and then I took the hair gel and I was like messing around myself. And I was just so like intrigued by this fucking LA looks hair gel. LA looks, man. I used <laughs> yeah, to use that. that the weird, like, yeah. It was orange or yeah. it was like bright blue. Yeah. It would kind of yeah. like leave your hair crusty. Yeah. Crusty yeah. an yeah. hour yeah. in it'd be all flaked yeah. up yeah. all white and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, I just saw there was room for improvement in LA looks. No beef with LA looks. You know, I got my own, <laughs> got enough problems in the hair <laughs> product competitor game. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was where it started. Definitely when I was young, man. But yeah, now if I could bet on anything that I would be successful at and be this, there's a lot of other stuff I want to do. Like if you just check your messages, see what people ask you all the time. Right. The number one message I get is probably, um, what do you put in your hair? What type of haircut do you ask the barber for? Which I never answer because, you know, I normally cut my own hair and I don't know. I just, I mean, I, 
what the fuck is the point of, of me giving away my, all my secrets, you know, <laughs> I need to, that's what we're doing here. Yeah. 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 I, I need, uh, I need some, uh, some, something in the game, you know, like you can get my products now and I believe in these cause I crafted them myself. You know, I worked on these yeah. for years before we released it. I've been doing this probably since, um, six months into the barbershop mm-hmm. uh, like success. That's when I started developing the products. Oh wow. So a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, we have a whole bunch more ready to roll out over the next year. Interesting. So you kind of saw the vision as the barbershop started to take off. Like as the show started to take off, you're like, oh, I get it. I get how this is going to go. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely early on. Um, It was definitely around the time when I got the partnership with Old Spice because then I put it on hold a little bit. I Obviously, you can't Mm -hmm. start your own company when you have a partnership like that. But you know, the money was good and it made sense at the time, but I didn't love the pomade. I wasn't actually using the pomade. So I just never felt real about it. I might get sued for that, but, um, whatever it is, what it is, fuck it. Come at me, bro. You know, no, don't please don't. You'll exhaust all my funds in court. You're a major corporation. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I wanted to make some tweaks. I developed the pomade, the, the texture spray completely from scratch and yeah, it took a while, but happy with it. I believe in it. I was nervous going up to the launch week. Um, but all the reviews are in and everybody loves it. And I feel like I have that thing again, like when I was giving people haircuts and they only trusted me and they needed to come yeah. back, it kind of just markets itself by word of mouth. And now with the videos. Well, you talked about something also about cutting hair and how like you don't have enough time in the day to make that, you know, like you, mm-hmm. you're, you're essentially renting hours. What's interesting is additionally making videos is like that too. Like you're kind of capped by the amount of time you can put into videos when it comes to revenue. Mm-hmm. So you've found a way to scale both things, your your vibe in the videos, right? The creative output of the videos and the audience that loves the videos, plus your expertise in hair, both of those things combined. And now you have this product line that can make money when you're on a run yeah. or you're asleep, right? Limitless potential. Yeah. Like a video it's virality can be endless. You know, you could reach however many people are in the world. Well, people can also start using the pomade without having any idea who you are. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. Because when you start to get into a business like that as a creator, you have an accelerant, which is your your audience. Mm-hmm. But if I show it to a buddy who's never heard of you and he's like, ah, oh, I love this pomade. Mm-hmm. You just build that trust, especially with your appearance. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to switch up my pomade every time. I just want this one. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting about what you're launching here is that it has longevity beyond, you know, uh, however long you want to be on camera or however long you want to cut hair. Yeah, I mean, eventually it's in Target and people are like, I don't know who this guy Jeff is, but yeah, <laughs> it's I a like, cool package. I like the script. I like the way it makes me feel. And yeah, yeah. Sure. I like yeah. the baby blue and that's it. Yeah, that's the plan. I f- do feel like I have more of a purpose. Like videos are great. I've loved this. I still love it. And I plan on doing it for a lot longer, but yeah, going into Target one day or Sephora mm-hmm. and seeing my products on the shelf would be sick. You know, that that's the goal. Mm-hmm. I feel like having a product line is really aspirational for a lot of creators, like to get to the point that you're at now. But what was step one? Like once you understand that you want the money, to go down this route. Definitely got to have the money or you could get into a partnership with somebody else, which, you know, I don't think that route will feel as genuine if you just partner with somebody like a, collab- or a collaboration with yeah. whatever... Like I was offered a lot of collaborations with other hair products and it just didn't seem right. You know, it didn't seem like I did anything. It just seemed like I did like a YouTuber merch or something, you know, a bunch of these people will approach you and be like, oh, let's do this together. You know, we'll we'll give you this much percent. And no, this baby, we started from the ground up. Like I told you, uh, I told you earlier, I had my friend was a creative director. She helped me with um, design and everything. And 
I think this logo was the initial logo that we started with, right? I think you mocked that up for like, I think we based that off the Ralph's Ices in Staten Island, mm-hmm. Ralph's Italian Ices. Yeah. And we made like the logo off that just real Staten Island Italian <laughs> logo. Just, you know, yeah. keep it simple. And that just stuck. That's the logo we use for everything. So yeah, it's pretty simple. It's pretty on brand, pretty genuine. We were, we were talking about like the creative direction of the brand the photos, the, even when you go to the website, there's like this super cool animation of like all the products exploding out. Yeah. Um, and we were wondering like, who is the creative director? Like, did you get an agency or is it? No, no, it's my friend like- Nev. Um, I've been friends with her for years. I actually met her when I was on tour with Mac Miller and Wiz Khalifa and Big Sean. I was cutting what their hair. That, I know, I, I, that might be the blur in that little time <laughs> okay. in between um, when I was bouncing around uh, after jail. That was after jail, but before LA, when I, before I moved to California to- okay embark on the weed endeavor um yeah so i was on tour with them not for long cutting i was their hair i was cutting their hair yeah so all the artists on the tour i think it was uh well yeah it was wiz khalifa was the headliner um big sean was before him and mac miller was before him and we went up all the um we went up the east coast and we, he was doing like a nationwide tour and right before that, I met Amber Rose. She just walked into the barbershop one day and asked me to shave her head. And I was like, oh, shit, you look like Kanye West's girlfriend. And she was like, sweetheart, I am Kanye West's girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, this is crazy, my first ever celebrity interaction. And then I ended up cutting her hair and becoming good friends with her. And she was still dating Kanye at that time. I was a big fan of Kanye's yeah. barber, but I didn't tell her that at the time. you know. Uh, but yeah, I started hanging out with her. And then we, well, they split. And she started dating Wiz, and then I ended up meeting Wiz, giving him a haircut, and then cutting Big Sean's hair and Mac Miller. Yeah, all right. Do you feel like you've lived just like a ton of lives? I do. Yeah, that's I've, why I leave some of them out sometimes. Right. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, it's all right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's wild. I love that that stuff just kind of comes up. Yeah. Uh, so, oh yeah. So great. Nev. So yeah. Nev, I met when we were in Toronto at uh, I think Oshiaga or some music festival, and there was just a bunch of people coming around, and I met her in passing in like a hotel room where I was giving haircuts, and she was a creative director for some artists at the time. And then we kind of went our own ways. She ended up working with Ariana Grande. She did the Dangerous Woman album, all the artwork and stuff like that. And she was working on a bunch of projects. She was doing so many different things, and now she's kind of uh, focusing on on this only and. Like my stuff. That's amazing. She's nice. So Oscar has a little more help. Yeah, that's great. The team that's is a, growing. That's a huge and gift. That's incredible. I think mm-hmm. actually that piece of advice was really good around like don't start a, a whole brand unless you have the capital to do it. Especially because I think like creators, it's not merch anymore. Like this isn't merch that you're mm-hmm. making. Like you're making a company, you're making a brand. Yeah. I think that's a completely different ballgame than like what was creator merch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even our merch, we like to have a little more fun with. Yeah. You know, it's, there's always been a little more thought that goes into everything we put out because what's the point, you know, are you doing it just for the money? Am I trying to do this for a year, get as much money out of my fans as I can and then disappear? You know, I want longevity. I want, I want to have an audience that grows with me and they enjoy the products, you know, they get it and they're like, I don't know. When I made the products and I got the first samples, I kept them next to my bed. And like every day I woke up, that was the first thing I looked at. And I was just so motivated by that. I had like a a new found motivation, like having a kid or something like that, like having a family, like the the products was like me restarting Mm -hmm. here. Like, okay, now this is like, everything is for this to build up this brand. Yeah. 
and then maybe I'll, I'll have my fun with it and it'll be self-sufficient and then I could start other things, focus on the weed business again, get back yeah, into that sure, field. Go on tour. You know, go on tour. <laughs> it's all maybe cyclical, start some, man. Yeah, yeah, some Joe Rogan supplements, you know, get everybody... <laughs> Juiced up, yeah. make vaccines or something. I don't know. We'll, <laughs> reconnect we'll, with Vinny? Yeah, yeah reconnect with I have. I hiked with him <laughs> uh, like a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, we're cool now. We're okay. good again. We had a little rocky patch, you know, but. Is he going to come out. on the show? I think so. And yeah. That'd be good. We're working on it. Yeah. I'll probably have to send him a cut for approval. Right. He's one of those guys. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. cares about his image. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So back, um, you know, a year ago, as you're you're exploring like, you know, wanting to get more into the products and, and, and grow your brand. How do you balance, you know, the stuff that you wanted to do at that time and the stuff that was going on with the vlog squad, like getting more opportunities with David doing stuff that's like shooting the shows that you guys were shooting at that time. Like, how did you? Good thing about that was when I came into that squad, I just got like, there's like so many people in that squad that's already so used to filming with each other. They love filming with each other. So I just got like 15 episodes right there, you know? Okay, well let's, let's do everyone in the vlog squad. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then I got an episode with each one of them. I even did sequels for some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I did two or three with Zane cause we always just, you know, yeah. we hit it off and it's just so funny to see Zane get a haircut. He's all worried about his receding hairline. <laughs> he got hair plugs and yeah. it's like a whole new person. It's a whole nother episode. Now it's hair plug Zane, you know? Right. Um, so I got a lot of guests out of that. And then, yeah, it was easy. It's easy to film with those guys. Everybody just genuinely likes filming together, which is rare because a lot of people in this business now, they're like all signed to a content house or right. they're like forced to make content. It was never like that with us. It would just be like, oh, you want to come hang out and go do this thing and we'll shoot it. You know, everybody shoots on their Canon ADDs and yeah. it's simple, you know, they film that day and edit it up and it's out tomorrow. But for us, it was always like, everybody's doing that. I don't want to be the guy that comes into this squad and is doing the same shit everybody else is doing. So when you're vlogging, you're pretty much fighting for content. If something yeah. funny happens, who gets, who gets, who gets yeah. that? Yeah. So I was like, all right, I like these guys. I need to come up with my own shtick. I can't just come in and be another guy that's just hungry for that fucking thing to capture. And who gets it? You know, does David get it? Cause he's, you know, mm -hmm. running this whole ship, you know, he's keeping this whole thing afloat and that would most of the time be like, let's put this in the main video, the main channel, David's channel, get it in, in his content. Cause that keeps feeding all of us. And yeah, I just wanted to have something that was completely standalone mine. Nobody can recreate it because I'm actually a real barber. You know, I'm not going to see Jake Paul cutting hair next week, talking shit to people because who knows? He actually, who knows? Yeah, he might do it. Knows, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll have to join the fight game too. Yeah. Then come in. No, it seems even. like you're, you're doing it. Yeah. It feels like you're I, on track. Yeah. I think I just enjoy it. You know, it's fun. Yeah. I, I like competition. I like martial arts. I like, you know, fights. I'm into it, but I don't know. I do have a brain injury and an eye injury mm -hmm. that I need to figure out first, which I'm doing as I work and stuff like that. Cause right. you're healing every day. Yeah. You know, I'm still healing, mm -hmm. but I'm keeping myself busy with all these other things. And when you said all those things back to me that I've done this year, I almost didn't even notice because I'm trying to stay so busy yeah. so I don't just sit around complaining about, you know, when am I going to be fully healed? When am I going to get better? And I'm almost there, but yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, definitely staying busy helps with the mental health. You seem like you're inspired. I mean, we've talked about it. You're inspired by a lot of like gangster movies. Mm -hmm. You have mentioned that you've kind of felt like there's this rise and demise, which is also the classic story arc of gangster movies is rise and demise. Yeah. When you had your accident, did you feel like, oh, well, here it is. Here's the mm -hmm. demise. Yeah. 
a hundred percent. I struggled to keep pushing through that. I went right back into filming videos. I think 10 days after I had like my head cracked in eight places and a whole bunch of metal plates in my face. I still didn't even know how bad the injuries were and how much of a toll it would take on me over time. But I just tried to go right back to what I knew. I couldn't work out. I couldn't do anything because my hip was broken. My foot was broken. My skull was broken. My eye socket was completely blown out, but I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to use this as content. I'll just make it look like it's prosthetic makeup and I'll write that into the show. I'll make it look like I'm doing some scam insurance job or something. And we don't have to get into how I actually got hurt because I was embarrassed initially. You know, I don't want that to be my demise, this stupid crane swinging thing and, you know, getting hurt in a thing I don't even traditionally do. I would never be the guy to go and get hurt in David's videos. That would normally be like, Jason or Jonah or Scott or somebody, you know, I was kind of just a guy that was like, this shit's dumb, you know? So mm-hmm. for me to get hurt in that way, I definitely thought like, fuck, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm going to look like a clout chasing moron, you know, when this video eventually comes out. And then for a while there, I was like, let's just suppress it. Let's let, never let the video come out. I'll heal up. This will be like, I've been jumped before. I've had my face punched in. I've had black eyes. Like this will be fine. I'll heal up and it'll be fine. Nobody has to know about it. But then the video started getting leaked out and I was like, all right, this happened to me. This can be turned into something positive. Maybe I can make a sort of inspirational thing out of this completely negative thing that happened to me and kind of flip it into a positive. And I wasn't thinking money. I wasn't thinking Patreon. I was just thinking like, okay, I have to tell this story eventually because it's going to drive me nuts. You know, why is my face all scarred up? Why is my eye fucked up? Why am I acting, you know, insane? I was going nuts for like a few months because I was just like kind of angry and I didn't know who to be angry at. I was just angry at the world and getting back into being creative and making that into a documentary and going back and filming and finishing the skydiving school and yeah, just making a piece out of it. It wasn't all for nothing. It wasn't all just, you know, the, the most regretful thing I ever did. And it's funny now I get nominated for an award for the dumbest thing I ever did. You know? Yeah. I don't even remember what the question was. Sorry. I go on tangents. (laughs) No, that was, that was the question. It was around like, did you feel like that was your demise and you were fighting against it? Yeah. Um, I was searching for something more to do because even with the barbershop and the success of that, I kind of still wanted more. I always wanted to make movies and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, this skydiving opportunity that David presented, he's going to pay for it. He is asking for a favor from us. He didn't say, yo, Jeff, I need you to skydive for my vlog. Like nobody else will do it. I need you. It kind of got to that because Todd and I committed and nobody else would because it's kind of a a ridiculous ask. But he was like, okay, like if you guys don't want to do it, it's fine. But if you you guys do want to do it, I'll pay for the whole thing. And, you know, it'll it'll be nice for the comeback vlog because he hadn't posted in Mm -hmm. six months or whatever. And he wanted to come back with a bang. And yeah, so much pre-production went into that and we we were like on a mission, you know, it was more, it was a bigger project than a barbershop episode. So I was like, all right, I'll just start filming. I'll just start making a documentary on this skydiving thing or whatever. I'll try to overcome my fears because I hated heights. Mm. I didn't want to jump out of a plane. I didn't know if I could even do it with tandem with having somebody in my back and then two jumps in, you're jumping out by yourself. And I was like, all right, this is cool, but there's plenty of like skydiving documentaries and people like making videos like that. I saw Will Smith had one and I was like, all right, this will be essentially it'll just come out to a video, you know? Yeah. We made one. 
Did you make a Skyrim one? Yeah, everyone's made a Skyrim. Everyone's made a Skyrim. Seriously? Come on. Yeah, we're on YouTube. I can't tell if you guys are fucking with me. No, we're not messing with you. You made a Skyrim. Yeah, overcoming your biggest fear or something like that. Really? Skydiving story. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't like heights either. I don't. I don't do well with them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We yeah. thought we were gonna die. We were like, as yeah. We were with each I other. Didn't tell my parents. Like, I didn't right. tell anyone. Did you get licensed to go solo, or did no, you just? No, do no. This is just one. Yeah, time. Okay. We went okay. once. Tandem. Yeah. That was it. Okay. And we made a whole documentary. A whole about documentary. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's how I felt. Really well. <laughs> did it really? Yeah. Critically acclaimed. Yeah. No, it did terrible. No, no, actually. Okay. No one ever watched it. Yeah. Now we have a talk show. Probably not worth the video. Yeah. Yeah. Sit down now. I think you guys are good at at this. Stick to this. You know, or maybe do both. Skydiving podcast. Right. Um. Yeah, the uh, yeah. So the initial plan changed after the accident. I wasn't planning on vlogging any of that stuff, and a lot of people didn't film after because they thought I was dead. So it uh, it definitely became like a whole bigger project. We had to go out and film all these interviews, the little testimonials, yeah. and um, just the surgeries and the aftermath became a big part of it. And I still was hesitant to put it out because. I thought it was just going to be one surgery and I would heal from that. But then it turned out I needed two more surgeries and then three more and then another four more surgeries. And I was just like that at the end when things went really bad and I thought that I was going to lose my eye, I was like, fuck this. I'm just not going to put it out. I'm just going to quit doing YouTube and stuff. I just don't have the confidence or even ambition to do this anymore. Like yeah. I was kind of mad at YouTube and just, just mad at everything. Like I got hurt cause I was pushing it too hard for content. It became something much bigger and yeah, that's how I stayed from going nuts throughout that time mm-hmm. was making it into a piece that could help people. Yeah. You know, when did you make the decision putting that together that you wanted to, to make it multi-part and you wanted to put it behind a, behind Patreon? Um, well that whole, the whole thing happened with David and the vlog squad and like the cancellation. Yeah. And at that time, the video of the accident started surfacing and rumors were spreading. And I was like, okay, I'm either going to get to tell this story myself or people are going to tell it for me. And that was my biggest fear if, if people controlled the narrative. So we all worked super hard in that time. And we're like, okay, we need to make this thing and tell it our way. And we need to do it quick because once that video is uploaded online, it's over, you know, it's just going to be oh fucking Jeff let David smash his head in and, somebody paid him to keep quiet or um, there's an insurance deal or something, there's some sort of lawsuit and there was never any of that. And I didn't want that narrative to be spread because there were so many things coming out about David and everybody around that I didn't want rumors coming out of this. Cause this was something that was affecting me seriously, mentally. Yeah. I, I was really screwed up like trauma and, and things like that. So I didn't want to, just have that come out and then, you know, people control the narrative. So I, uh, yeah, we worked very hard, uh, planning out how it was going to go. And then we shot that stuff with my parents that was in the first episode. We shot Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. like the week we posted it. We were just like, let's make this more a story about me and not so much vlog squad, David power dynamics smashes this guy's head because the story is more about me and my life and how I got to that point and how I've always been kind of reckless and I've always kind of had that fear of everything going completely wrong at the end. And yeah, I just wanted to make it something more than just like, oh, this accident happened and this is it. This is the end. I wanted it to be more of like a redemption story, like the comeback and 
showing how many times I was set back yeah. and that I was able to push through these things. So if I could do this and I'm a fucking idiot with brain damage, then anybody else can do it. You know, yeah. you, you guys could like, I was scared of skydiving. I, I don't, I haven't gone back since I finished the documentary. Fuck that. I don't scary. Give a fuck. scary thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've I'm done good. it twice. I don't think twice. I'm going to do it a third. Landed on the ground. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Once you get back to that ground, I'm like, yeah. all right, did we like, get the footage? Right. We're yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's done. It. I might've learned to enjoy it on like the 23rd, 24th and 25th jump. I might've had fun, but no, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm good. So when you want to control the narrative and time is important, why not just turn the camera on, tell people what happened instead of making an intricate multi-part documentary? Well, that's what I always wanted to do. And I finally have an audience. Why not have some fun with it? You know, why not make it something more than just a podcast, me sitting down and doing a tell-all, you know, mm-hmm. which I did kind of do throughout the mm-hmm. documentary. I, I sprinkled those things in, but yeah, I wanted to, I mean, I had an opportunity to do some storytelling, so I wanted to have fun with it. I think what's interesting for me is I didn't understand that you were a storyteller to that degree until I saw that doc. Like for me, I would, I would consider it potentially risky to choose that format because you have to get the story right. And you have to get storytelling, right? Which are sort of mm-hmm. two different things. Yeah. Right? Like the, the way that you package the information could impact how other people receive it. Yeah. If you're not really, really good at making a documentary, mm-hmm. which I think like you and your team were really good. Like it turned out really well. Thank you. Yeah. It was our first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were blown away by it. Um, so w- what was the decision around putting that, like having Patreon involved in that and, and having it behind a paywall? Oh, okay. Uh, another good question. Um, I didn't do it as like a cash grab, but obviously the documentary did cost a lot of money. So I would like to recoup some of that money. Yeah. And the, the state of my channel at the time was very bad. Um, I think we, we had done a weight loss series yeah, where I, I did like the biggest mm-hmm. loser. Beefy boys. Yeah. The beefy yeah. boys. Yeah. So I would do that, which was another, the intention was positive. You know, I wanted to motivate people to get healthier, lose weight and live longer. But, um, the comedy was still very raw and dark and, you know, a little edgy. And the nickname, one of the guys wanted to go by was fatty. That's how he copes with, you know, people bullying him. He just made that his own nickname. And he's like, all right, I'm going to call myself fatty now. So, you know, you guys can't all laugh at that now. Cause I like that name. So we all called him fatty the whole time. And YouTube, I just flagged that as a slur and we were bullying, but that's just, I think the bots would pick it up as you hear fatty a hundred times in a video. That's not suitable for ads and yeah. it's age restricted. So they had just age restricted like four videos in a row, but I had already shot the whole series. And I guess that was our first attempt at like a documentary or docu-series because we shot the whole thing and then we got to edit it and kind of spend time with it, it while I was simultaneously shooting the barbershops and we'd have a little more time to work on this project. But yeah, that whole thing got age restricted. Our channel, everything we posted had to get submitted for review and now this series where I'm jumping out of a plane, there's blood and gore and all these horrible things that happen. I thought my channel would be done and it was, it got age restricted right off the bat and it just sucks. Like people don't understand when your video gets age restricted. Now nobody can watch it because it, nobody, I guess like 50% of the people can't watch it because they have to be logged into an account and show their ID mm-hmm. and it just doesn't get recommended as much. Not only does it not make money, it's just not as many people will see it. It just won't have reach. And I was like, fuck it. If they're going to make this video, they're going to suppress it and not let people watch it. I'm going to post it uncensored on Patreon because that's how I would want people to see it. So it wasn't even for the money, but it needed some sort of paywall or something where it could live. 
and we were thinking about posting on Vimeo and nobody fucking uses Vimeo, you know? Yeah. Sorry if you guys use Vimeo too. <laughs> <laughs> we used it this week. We used yeah. it yesterday. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. what? Don't worry but about it. But it was rare. Okay. It was a rare. It was yeah, a rare occurrence. Rare it was occurrence. like, I haven't hey. used it for years since yesterday. Yeah. We just had to password protect a video. Yeah, and so yeah. we're, okay. How do you do, do yeah. that? You did it on Vimeo? Vimeo. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You got some use out of Vimeo, but yeah, I didn't want to, <laughs> we didn't want to post it on Vimeo and have it live there. YouTube, we were not on such good terms with at the time, but we've since made up. So if I do end up doing another documentary, I will. I will do it on YouTube. Yeah. It's crazy that it got nominated for a streaming when it was like a big Patreon ad too. I know it's, yeah. it's, it's ironic that it's like, you're talking about how you couldn't post it on YouTube and now it's the, you know, it's nominated for best doc on YouTube. Yeah. But going to Patreon, we made a video about it, about your, kind yeah. of, you know, putting this doc on Patreon and there was this explosive growth with your Patreon, the amount of yeah. people, cause it's all public. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, we did the math. That's where our yeah, title yeah, came from. Yeah, yeah. But what was that experience like for you when all of a sudden you started seeing, you started putting out the doc and that many people, I think it was like 40,000. I was something. under a lot of, uh, I was under the influence of a lot of drugs at the time. I had just gotten surgery and I was sitting in the editing room that we have with these guys and I would do as much as I could. And then at the end of it, I was just like, fucking post it. I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to hear a response out of it and just go for it. And they kind of took over there because I was on the fence. I was like, we're not posting this. I'm just going to fucking keep this story bottled up inside for life. I'm not posting myself crying on the internet. I'm not posting myself being vulnerable. Fuck all this. And then I'd come back the next day like, all right, I got to tell the story. Let's go for it. Yeah. Let's just post it. And yeah, the growth on the Patreon was nice, but I, I think it was all drowned out by like just the messages, the positive yeah. feedback from people that could relate to the story because I was so hesitant on like the criticism I would get from people. I thought everybody was just going to be like, you're a fucking idiot. And I did still get some of those, but it was maybe 1% of the messages that I got opposed to like the 50% that I thought I was going to get. Mm. And yeah, I was, it was just all drowned out by positive feedback. And it was exactly what I wanted and more like showing the effect that, that the video would have on people. Cause a lot of people go through shit, you know, yeah. And a lot of YouTubers don't really show that like struggling for mental health issues and things like that. So yeah, I realized that just being real and being vulnerable and sharing that much, I think it really, I don't know, people could just really, really relate. They feel like they know you. And I met a lot of people. I even started on Patreon. It's probably a bad idea, but I started doing personal phone calls with people that like had been in a, a similar situation wow. or experienced any type of trauma, any type of accident. I did get people that had sent me like the same scars, like exactly, Interesting. Hmm. exactly the same injuries, broken orbital, like the yeah. same exact shit. And they were able to walk me through with the healing process. Like, I know you probably feel like you're going to lose your eye right now, or you probably, your vision's double, but you'll get used to that part at like a year and a half in or something like that. So I was getting actual feedback that was better than stuff that I would hear at the doctor's office mm. from just strangers on the internet. And I would talk to them for, I would go way over the time of the call yeah. just because that was like therapy for me. That's so interesting people. that the story became this opportunity to connect with the community and develop deeper relationships. Yeah. Completely yeah. turned around. Yeah. my entire life, like my entire quality of living changed from putting out the documentary. I got such good feedback from people and I was expecting the exact opposite, you know? So I think I just needed to 
fucking throw a Hail Mary. I just posted it and just went to sleep after and then woke up and it was like, oh, you got 47,000 subscriptions on Patreon. And then I see your videos like, oh, he's going to make $2.4 million this year. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck am I really? (laughs) (laughs) You have to maintain those. A lot of them came just to see the accident. So now I'm planning my next accident and you know, we'll we'll get them back. No, I mean, I'm good. It all, it all worked out great. Just the response I got on it meant enough more than enough. You know, that was great. How do you look at the identity of being a YouTuber as a career? I was listening to you on Theo Vaughn's podcast. Oh yeah. And there's a moment where he calls you a YouTuber and then he kind of retracts it and apologizes. Yeah. And you're like, I, the comments didn't like that because Theo does stand up. He's an actual stand up comedian and his background was stand up, but he gained so much more success from podcasting and putting his podcast video version on the internet and so many more people discovered him that way. And I was saying it in a positive way. Like, I'm not embarrassed of the term YouTuber because I made it on my own. You know, like, I didn't walk into a casting audition room. One casting director liked me and they were like, okay, let's put you in this movie or put you in Stranger Things and you're, be- you're going to become a-, a superstar off that. Like, we struggled and we made videos, worked on them for weeks. Nobody watched them. And we just kept at it, kept doing it, and then figured it out. So... I don't know. I think I have more, um, like more of a respect for content creators than I do actors that made it off their looks mm-hmm. that just walked into the right casting office at the right time. You know? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause we have to be not only creators, but also distributors, right? We're mm-hmm. making decisions on how things are getting distributed to our audience and thinking about the marketing of them and how are we yeah. going to find viewership, not just how are we going to act in this thing, then it's how we're going to put it together. How are we going to package it? What's mm-hmm. the title? What's the thumbnail? How are we going to distribute it? Is the sponsor happy? There's just so how are we going to build a business off that. Is yeah. someone going to run that business? Do I run that business? Mm-hmm. Like there's so much more that goes into what it. What am I going to do next when this video is yeah. done? Mm-hmm. You know, I think what's interesting is the docu-series for you feels like this moment where you were describing to us on the barbershop when you have people on and you're kind of like joking about some of their hate comments and stuff. It's like reclaiming their own narrative and their own brand. Did the doc feel like that for you? Like a moment where you were kind of reclaiming your own story, your own brand and, and really entering into a new phase of what it meant to be Jeff? Um, yeah, I, I didn't really have much of a choice. That was who I am now. And I was like, all right, fuck it. If I'm going to share this side of me, I'm going to share the whole thing. And that's why I went back to Staten Island, back to my family, back to where I grew up. And we even shot that part over zoom with my parents. Cause they weren't vaccinated yet. It was like, they yeah, didn't yeah. want me coming home. And we did a whole interview over zoom. And I even asked my mother, like how she felt. And she mm-hmm. talked about like her feelings towards David. Like she was like talking about nightmares she had of like getting the phone call, finding out that I was in the hospital and I might die. And we decided to fly out the week of when we were going to launch the doc and start posting it even though it was really stressful to go add in a whole another two hours of footage on a trip to New York and everything. But I'm really happy we did that because yeah. it really just, I don't know, it just seemed very authentic, you know, going back to my house that I grew up in, you know, it's nice. They still live there and stuff like that. So yeah. yeah it contextualizes you, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. Cause now everything you do next there, like there's always this piece of content that you can go back to, to be like, wait, what's this guy's story? Yeah. Oh, there it is. That's where he's yeah. from. That's what he's like. That's his narrative. Yeah. I think that's really powerful uh, to have yeah. that origin story live mm-hmm. on YouTube. And also it's it's weird because it's such a big celebrity 
that was involved in it. Yeah. And I didn't want it to feel like a hit piece on him. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be like, this is the truth. This is what happened. It is what it is. You know, shit happens. Accidents happen. This is how I dealt with it. I didn't want to make it like, oh, I'm going to cancel him. Let's fucking make a lawsuit on it. You know, we were friends fucking around trying to make a good video and something went wrong. An accident happened. It is what it is. But how can we turn this into a positive? I didn't want it to hurt anybody else more than what it already had done. I just wanted it to be something positive for people to take stuff away from and be like, okay, I can get through anything. You know, this guy got through this. He even went back and skydived with his fucking eyeball floating all around in his head. And, you know, yeah, yeah. that was it. It sucked to yeah. <laughs> go back there and be sure. like, oh, fuck, I gotta, I'm back in the skydiving place. But, yeah, if I never started doing YouTube, I never started making videos and, you know, becoming fully obsessed with this craft, then I would have never done any of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the decision to start Jeff FM and create a podcast? Um, we, we did a podcast in the past and it was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having a platform to just talk on. And especially the time where I was so disconnected from YouTube, I wasn't posting as much. I it was just like, fuck mm-hmm. it. The accident was so bad and I had to keep getting surgeries. Um, as I was coming back, I was like, all right, I'm going to fully come back and I'm going to have this platform to just talk by myself. And that's why we put the desk there. I was like, even if I have to just do this by myself, just to get in here and talk, it'll keep me motivated to keep doing stuff, keep living life. Cause I'm, I'm going to need stuff to talk about. Can't just sit there and yeah. cry about my eye and stuff like that. So yeah, it just got me back living life. And also Oscar's dad is the one who does all of our set uh, construction uh, and so he built good. out the airstream. Really good. So good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's Oscar, just, we'll probably call your dad. Yeah. We're gonna call you. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. He would love to come throw some bricks up in here yeah, or whatever, yeah, you, need, you know? Uh, yeah. So Oscar's dad was building that set out and we have, okay. We built a couple sets. I was trying to figure it out and I built a sauna. I was going to do a podcast in a sauna. That's, funny. That's really funny. And it was just, it didn't really seem like kind of going after the hot ones feel like yeah. Sean Evans, you know, mm-hmm. people are like dealing with the spice they're dealing with the heat, yeah. they're sweating, they want to get out. But yeah, it was just tough and you didn't really get good content out of it. Cause people are just really genuinely like eating spicy foods, funny, but just sweating. You're like, Oh fuck, I don't want to yeah. be in here anymore. <laughs> I was thinking in a way you risk it being too similar to the barbershop show. Yeah. Yeah. We started thinking about doing two bits. interview shows where people are potentially uncomfortable Right. You guys are good, man. They get it. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly how we stopped it. Uh, Yeah. So we did that. And then also we're building out the Jeff FM set and we have these bright lights. We have these like RE sky panels and Oscar likes to keep them so fucking bright. And we had the monitor like flipped around and I'm looking at it and I'm just looking. All I can focus on is my eye all fucked up. Mm. And I was like, I don't even know if I want to do this, you know, and then Oscar's dad gave me a nice little pep talk. He was like, what, what do you say? He was like, this is your life. Like, you know, you only get one and you're fine. Like people love you. They obviously want to hear what you have to say. Like why hide it? You know, just, just, you know, be yourself and just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Like stop complaining. He basically just told me like fucking suck it up and stop complaining. <laughs> and I was like, all right, fuck. We already built this set. I spent money on it. I bought all this gear. I guess we got a podcast now. So yeah, we just got going and then, you know, you're working, you're staying busy. You're not thinking about all the bullshit. Yeah. So you've got the podcast show, you've got the barbershop show, you've got the line of products, mm-hmm. what, Patreon, blogs, Patreon, and stuff. Vlog, what else makes up the Jeff Wittick 
business right now? And then where are you taking it moving forward? Uh, I definitely want to start seeing some fans again and people that watch the videos and are using the products or whatever. Just definitely I miss traveling and touring and, and seeing faces, not just seeing like comments and stuff like that. Just makes it feel more real, yeah. you know? I want to do that. We're working on touring, but also there's so many videos and like things that we have to shoot now. I'm trying to do the barbershop more seasonal, like maybe shoot 15 episodes and then take off and go work on another project just because you kind of get overwhelmed and like pigeonholed in this one thing. Like I'm just doing the barbershop, just doing the podcast. And it just feels like every day I have to do another podcast, Mm -hmm. find another guest, research them. And yeah, it's, it's, you'll end up spending all your time working on that. So yeah, just what's, what makes up like the current lion's share of the revenue for, for the Jeff Wittick. Oh, you want to see my bank account? Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, (laughs) Mr. B showed us his, so we figured we could get it here. (laughs) Uh, I would say right now we still rely heavily on brand sponsorships on whether the podcast or the main channel, you guys probably know what it's like getting good offers from sponsors. Not everybody gets those. So uh, yeah, we're all fortunate enough that, you know, when you put out a quality product, people want to work with you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, having all these nice cameras and stuff, I guess wasn't a waste of money because yeah, people enjoy production quality. So Mm -hmm. I, I, we do have a lot of sponsors on the barbershop. So we have like 15 episodes that we have to shoot by the end of the year, which is going to be hell, but we're getting through them. Sure slowly but surely and podcasting and we do the extra content for Patreon and then touring and pop-up shops for the products. And I want to get these things in barbershops. I think I'm going to start at the first barbershop I ever worked at. That's cool. And then expand and I'll do a pop-up shop back in Staten Island at my old barbershop and do it out here. Yeah. And yeah, just get these products in barbershops and Sephora's all over the world. Yeah. And just get them in houses, have people using it. I love seeing people's product reviews and stuff like that. It's really, really nice to get a good response on the product Mm -hmm. because videos, you know, they're like trends. They come and go and you could, you know, not like something in the future. You know, you could Mm -hmm. be what you like now will get played out eventually. This seems like it'll be around for generations. Over the past year, we mentioned at the top of the show, everything you've done in the past year. This time next year, what's happening in the world of Jeff? Do you have plans? Back in jail. I miss Mm -hmm. it. I want to go back. I heard it's nice there. No, um, I, I think... Eventually down the line, we will do some sort of franchise barbershops because mm. it sucks everybody having to go to Supercuts and Floyd's and stuff like that. No, to actually full disrespect to fucking, who the fuck is Floyd, you to know? To be honest, that's how I got that, that really was That's what cut. happened, yeah. Was it at Floyd's? Yeah, it was. Hell yeah. yeah. It yeah. them. <laughs> the issue is the my brother is a maniac. He just walks into those types of places and he just books a haircut and anyone. Yeah. Luck of the draw. Whoever's, whoever takes that's, him that day. Yeah. That's crazy. Madman. That That's a crazy thing to do. What a mad After man. that cut, I went to Blind Barber, and the barber that I had that day yeah. is now the barber that I've had since that cut, wow. which was years. Four, five long? years ago, and 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 she's traveled around to all yeah. different locations. I'll go wherever she goes. He'll drive uh, an hour plus I do to go get his cut. An hour, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever it takes. Wow, that's insane. I believe it. You yeah. know, I've, been, I've experienced it. People would fly me out. There was one point where I cut one guy from the Kansas City Chiefs, mm-hmm. and- I met him in Miami at the barbershop and then he would fly me out on Fridays to cut the whole team in Kansas city, Missouri. And I was in, you know, the middle of nowhere working. There was this whole football team and they would fly me out. It would cost more for my travel than for the haircuts, you know, cause yeah. Church 20 bucks for a haircut, you know? 
Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I hope to get to that point one day where I can fly a barber somewhere. Yeah. That feels like a dream. Hey, you got me out here to Venice. It's almost, that's you basically know, flying yeah, that's the same, yeah, same we didn't thing. Even pay you to come. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, you gave me that you lovely promo that. there. Yeah. 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 So no, I appreciate it. This was great. This is probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Usually people just stay on the jail stuff. They're like, tell yeah. the story. What was the worst thing? Yeah. Have you ever been raped in prison? I'm like, <laughs> we're, what? We're no. looking for clicks, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. It's cool for us. I think like, you know, we've been on YouTube for 10 years. You, you've been in, in social media for 10 years. And yeah. I think like seeing how people are navigating launching businesses, I think it's really interesting because there's a bunch of young kids who are trying to evaluate how to become, how to do this, right? How to yeah. become a content creator. But the actual real stories of how you turn these into businesses, I find to be the most interesting. Like yeah. the, we're all entrepreneurs. We're all internet entrepreneurs finding mm-hmm. ways in this new world to to do what we love and make money doing it. Yeah. I think what's cool too is your content market fit led to your product market fit. If you're looking at like a purely entrepreneurial sense, right? Mm-hmm. That you mm-hmm. found that barbershop content actually is what works best. That you like it, the audience likes it, the algorithm likes it. Yeah. And because you found that first, it was much easier to get to this. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it's not hard to launch a product, mm-hmm. but to have the passion and the idea behind it. Yeah. And also just like with YouTube, it's just like fashion, you know, trends come and go. The style of videos people like at the moment yeah. changes. So we have to keep reinventing our style. Like mm-hmm. you said, you found this that works for you, yeah. but who knows two years from now, mm-hmm. you know, Cut the podcast market might just be so saturated that, you know, we have to put a new aspect into this or just find it a whole mm-hmm. new thing. And yeah, I think, we're on our way, you know? Yeah. We are the few that are able to adapt, you know? It's stressful feeling like there's a shelf life on what you're doing. And if you don't make a video better than your last one, your career is going to be failing instead of growing. So, yeah, this takes a little bit of that stress out of it, you know, because mm-hmm. there's more stuff going on than just one thing. You know, yeah. if just the videos are going bad, at least I have other things going good in my life. Mm-hmm. And all that. Yeah, and you got a brand now that can like live the, the, the ethos that you want to put out can live through the brand. Yeah. Which is really cool. I think that's like super aspirational. That's nice. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. Made my day. You oh, know, yeah. I didn't really get a yeah. moment to enjoy the products because yeah. I've been so stressed with making videos, mm-hmm. but this feels like that, you know, like I finally get to talk about it to guys that are genuinely curious and care. So it's nice. So it's cool. Right.